Today, Entrepreneur House listeners, we want to welcome Esther Jacobs to the show. Esther is an international speaker and author. She's given more than 1,000 keynote speeches inspiring entrepreneurs and decision makers of organizations like Capgemini, Hewlett Packard, KLM, Phillips, and universities on five different continents. She has published and contributed to 16 books, helping over 15 entrepreneurs write and publish their own book. And Esther is a TEDx speaker. As a pioneer and entrepreneur, Esther became an expert in selling results with limited resources, especially in challenging circumstances. The no-excuse lady proves that you can turn even the bleakest situation into an opportunity. Esther has raised $25 million for charities without a budget, network, or experience. She was knighted by the Dutch Queen of the Netherlands. She survived a reality TV show on a deserted island turned her relationship with the Playboy into a best-selling book, Have You Found Mr. Wrong Yet?, and been fired from her own country for traveling too much. She became a digital nomad, living and working in a hundred different countries. The very government that expelled her is now consulting her on how to solve the issue for future mobile generations. The reason we are bringing her on today's show is because Esther will be an official advisor of the Entrepreneur House in Chiang Mai. Esther, along with two other advisors, are going to spend the month with us advising, giving workshops, and consulting for the entrepreneurs in attendance. We are really excited and honored to have her at the house and have her on the show. She's an incredible business mind, and without further ado, Esther Jacobs, welcome to the show. Thank you. So Esther, I've gotten to know you a bit over the past month, and the more I learn about you, really the more I'm amazed at the things you've done with your life. So I want to kind of jump in to your life. Um, Can you tell us more, and I think the listeners would like to hear your story, but tell us more about where you got your start at, where you come from, and how you kind of made it to the person that you are today. Okay. Well, I studied business at a private business school, and afterwards, most of my students um, went on to do more university studies, and I felt that um, the choice I had to make was to travel, because now I had time and no money. Uh, But if I went to study and work, then I would have money but no time. And I figured at that age already that it was easier to get money (laughs) than to get time. So I started traveling around the world doing small projects. And then at one point, um, I also studied anthropology, actually, just out of interest for all those different cultures that I saw. Oh, wow. And then at one point when the euro was being introduced, I figured that if I could collect all the leftover coins that everybody had from their travels uh, Mm -hmm. for charity, that I could collect a lot of money for charities and then, you know, tick something off my bullet list (laughs) to do something good and then continue with my life. But it wasn't as easy as it sounds because, of course, it was a huge project. Even if I did the collection just in the Netherlands to collect all the leftover German marks and French francs. Um, because I had no experience. Nobody knew who I was. I didn't know anybody. There was no internet at that time. And, you know, the charities were suspicious. The retailers were suspicious. The money um, processing people were suspicious. So it was very, very hard to get the project off the ground. Mm -hmm. When I did, the charities, uh, the big charities, um, didn't like me because I did everything faster and (laughs) cheaper than they did. Yeah. So instead of working with me, they started to work against me. So all in all, it was very, very, very hard. I learned a lot from from the Coins for Care project, but I learned a lot of things that I'd rather not have learned. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but in the end, we collected 16 million euro wow. and um, donated all of that to charities. I made hardly any expenses and I uh, got everything done through sponsoring, uh, free publicity, um, volunteers and everything. I didn't get paid for the project and it took me like three to four years, more than full time to complete it. So I did, got to know, did get to know a lot of people and I learned a lot and I started giving presentations after the Coins for Care project about getting big results with a few resources Yeah. and from giving those presentations people started asking me like uh, why don't you write a book about your experiences uh, and I did, I wrote several books and my presentation started to become more and more personal because you know the the project story you can tell once but your own experiences you can get new angles to that every time mm -hmm. um, so I started to develop from there and anything that happened to me I turned into presentations and books like I fell in love with uh, the biggest playboy on a Caribbean island for <laughs> a while <laughs> and I thought okay why is this happening to me and then I decided, well, I studied anthropology. I'll make it into participant observation. So I'm going through this. I'm enjoying it. I'm, you know, experiencing this. But I'm also using, like, my helicopter view to make notes and interview Mr. Wrongs and Mrs. Wrongs and, and so-called <laughs> victims. And so I turned it into a book, Have You Found Your Mr. Wrong Yet? Mm -hmm. And, um, in fact... All the books that I wrote, all the projects that I did, they are not about relationships or coins or charities, not about the topic I write about, but it's about taking situations into your own hands. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn how to surf. Um, if you look at your environment, like external circumstances, you, you often cannot influence them. Right. Politics, economics, relationships, other people... And a lot of people spend their lives pointing at others and pointing at governments and whatever and complaining and being a victim. And that takes a lot of energy away from you yeah. and you don't get any further. You don't achieve anything. Yeah. So I studied that and I thought maybe it's better to accept any situation, any given situation, the way it is, not thinking about how it could have been, how it should have been, but accepting what you have, looking for the opportunities and using what you have and only focusing on, on things you can influence. That gives you power. That makes you feel in control of your own life and your own company. So that's what I do all the time. And I made a pretty good living just traveling around, giving presentations, writing books. And um, a few years ago, something really weird happened to me. So I built a pretty good life for myself, giving presentations, traveling around, writing. I even got knighted by the Dutch Queen for Coins for Care, the charity initiative that I did. And um, it was the mayor of Amstelveen, a town I was living at the moment. And one day when I went to the, the town hall to renew my passport, uh, that was 2013, so not too long ago, I got refused a new passport and they said that I didn't live there anymore. Wow. And I was really, really confused because I had my own house. I bought a house there. I had been living there for 16 years. Mm -hmm. I was called like the, um, the example citizen of Amstelveen. You know, everybody knew <laughs> me. I had been paying taxes, uh, running my own company, um, volunteering, everything like that. But they wouldn't renew my passport because they said I didn't live there anymore. Mm -hmm. So it took me a lot of time to find out what was wrong because I was treated as a criminal. Wow. If you're an exception, exception, 
um, they treat you as a criminal. They don't find out what's going on, but they put like a whole investigation team uh, to see what what your situation is. Mm-hmm. And um, it turns out there's a law in the Netherlands that says you cannot register anywhere unless you sleep there for four months a year. Interesting. And I, I was traveling so much that I didn't sleep in my own house for four <laughs> months a year. But it was my house. I didn't have another house. I didn't, you know, I paid taxes. I didn't get any social security. I was not profiting from society in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, you know, they they told me I was a fraud and that they were going to investigate. And um, I tried to find out what was going on. They wouldn't even let me see my files because they said they were private. Really? Like, what private? They're my files. So it took me a long time to find out what was going on. And when I did, I wrote a blog and um, uh, the ministers, the government of the Netherlands even had a special meeting on my case. Mm-hmm. So for three weeks, the ministers uh, met and talked about, you know, the law and, and my situation. And they concluded that even though this law was not meant for people like me, mm-hmm. technically, that the city of Amstelveen had been right to apply it. So I was deregistered from my own house. Wow. And that meant that I lost my citizenship, my passport, my voting rights, my pension. I got kicked out of the health insurance. Wow. Um, they unregistered my company from the Chamber of Commerce. And because I didn't have the Chamber of Commerce registration, they closed my bank accounts and my phone plan. Whoa, no way. So it was like a domino, all my life falling apart and um, nobody could do anything. Uh-huh. Everybody so, said. So, so was your money for, frozen also? No, I could still access it, but okay. it was very hard because without a bank account, you know, you don't have a credit card. Your PayPal doesn't work. Wow. Uh, I couldn't send any invoices for for presentations that I did, and because they wouldn't give me a new passport, I couldn't travel. So this took months, and it was very, very frustrated. And that was the first time I realized how vulnerable I was uh, being dependent on a government uh-huh. because normally, you know, they're like larger distance, they don't interfere with your life so uh, specifically. Um, but there was only one organization in the Netherlands that said, Miss Jacobs, to us, you are and will always be a citizen of the Netherlands. Okay. And those were the tax people. <laughs> of course. So I lost all my rights and they still wanted me to, to pay taxes. Wow. And I think that was the moment when I decided to turn things around because they call me the no excuses lady and I give presentations and I write books about, you know, seeing opportunities and turning situations around. Mm -hmm. But during this time, I was frustrated. I was acting like a victim. I was angry. I just wanted things to go away, just like anybody else confronted with a horrible situation like that. Right. And the moment I decided to turn things around, I took my power back. So I rented out my house to expats, which gave me uh, some income. Mm -hmm. I started a company at the British Virgin Islands, which allowed me to send invoices again. Mm -hmm. And even better, you don't have to pay taxes in the British Virgin Islands. And that that was not the biggest thing for me. But the biggest thing was, if you don't have to pay taxes, you don't have to do any bookkeeping, no administration. Ah, nice. No more receipts, no more Excel sheets. I felt completely free for the first time (laughs) in my life, really. Excellent. So I started to see the positive things of this situation. Good. And of course, I started writing about it, giving presentations. A lot of people started asking questions. Uh, what do you do with your insurance? I found health insurance at IKEA Family in Mallorca, for example. Uh-huh. Um, I found a solution for everything, even for my passport. 
And um, I wrote a book about this. Uh, the first book was in Dutch, and the, the most recent one is in English, Digital Nomads. Uh-huh. Uh, basically, to answer questions about this type of lifestyle. And it has become my lifestyle, um, even before the word digital nomad was um, um, was popular. Mm-hmm. I'm a location-independent entrepreneur. I can access my files from anywhere. I don't have any possessions, and I'm completely free. I can go wherever I want. And um, it's not that it hurts my business, but this has become my business, not yeah. being in one location. People get inspired. Some, some people get scared. Uh, and I'm trying to prove that this is not a trend, but a revolution in the way we live, work, and play around the world. I completely agree. Have you, do you like the movie Braveheart? It's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah, but he was also different, right? Yeah, well, I mean, the whole premise of the story is uh, Scotland was fighting for their freedom against English rule. And, um, and, but occasionally, you know, I feel like you, you do also because we're, we're – we're on the digital nomad location independent revolution and we're on the cusp of it. You know, we're just starting out. And during the last part of the movie, as he's dying, instead of saying mercy, he screams freedom at the top of his lungs. <laughs> and since I've been traveling the world, I remember when I, like five years ago, when I first started out, I would, I would play that scene from that movie. And I didn't realize how much, um, freedom was uh, a principle in my life at the time but over and over and just traveling I realized like how important it really is so it sounds like you're kind of you're definitely on the same page yeah and it sounds also like I have to watch that movie again (laughs) (laughs) at least watch the ending of it when he screams that 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 freedom part it's like um kind of cathartic you mean yeah it's it's true once you feel this freedom you can never go back and this lifestyle has a lot of disadvantages as well and for example for me every time i enter a new country and i have to fill out an official form with your permanent residence address i'm Uh committing fraud whether i fill in the address of my own house or whether i leave it blank i'm always in trouble yeah yeah the system is not prepared for people living this way but it shouldn't prevent you from doing this if this is what you really want. And that's true freedom. Yeah, I agree. I was back in the States and I have a driver's license from the U.S. And it was from the last state I lived in was Arizona. And I, I think I, I ran a red light or didn't stop fully at a stop sign or something. Anyway, I got, I got pulled over and the police officer asked me if this was my correct address. And I was like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> and he was like, what do you mean by that? And I was like, well, I've... Step been... out of the car, please. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't make me do that, but uh, my dad was in the car. And I didn't really lie or tell the truth. I just told him, you know, the situation. Avoided the situation, yeah. I didn't avoid it. You know, I told him the situation. I was like, this is my driver's license and, and that kind of deal. It's like, what do you, you know, what do they say to that? And you're right, the system all over the world doesn't know how to handle us. I'd like I to... I think we, as like the early... Uh, location independent entrepreneurs are opening doors for others so yeah. we are you know uh, getting all the blows every now and then yeah. um, but we are shaking up the system and one day it will be able to accommodate us and then we can contribute also I don't mind paying taxes but then yeah. I want to have the rights as well yeah I agree I'd like to jump um, back into your childhood a little bit, Esther, because I, I know <laughs> people like to learn. I like I like to learn a lot about how successful people, you know, what their childhood was like, because I get a lot of inspiration from that. So, Great. if you don't mind sharing, 
No, no, it's a good idea. I I've always been like a bit weird, <laughs> not a not a people's person, more a loner, mm-hmm. and. Um, I th- I think that a lot of people I meet, a lot of special people I meet, they're kind of the same, like almost on the verge of autistic or something. Mm-hmm. I've had to learn how social groups function, how society functions, mm-hmm. and I still find it difficult to go to reception and just chat about nothing. Um, so when I did Coins for Care, the, the charity collection, I found out if, if I go to reception or a party with a goal, like I need a solution for this problem for this Coins for Care project, mm-hmm. then I can go and talk to people. But just talking about like, hey, how are you? What are you doing? Um, you want to have lunch sometimes? It's like, oh, I can't do it. <laughs> so when I was young, I didn't realize, of course, that I was different, but I felt that people reacted to me differently and that I didn't like what they liked and I didn't want what they wanted. So I preferred to be alone. And um, when you prefer to be alone, you cannot be rejected either. So there's a lot of people that have been bullied when they were young, but yeah. that's probably because they wanted to be part of a group. And I don't know if I devised this as a solution or if this was really what I wanted, but I didn't want to be part of the group. I was happier being alone, living in my fantasy world. Mm. So I think only when I went to the business school, uh, when I was 19, I think, where we lived on campus for three years, like three people in one room, Mm -hmm. I was forced to become more social and I just had to learn the rules of friendship and social, you know, rules and and group uh, dynamics and it was very uh, interesting to learn, but not, not always easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for me, it's more like a game. Like, okay, I learned the rules. I know what they expect of me. I know what to do. Then that I really feel that I'm a part of it or want to be a part of it. Okay. And another thing that happened when I was 17 is my parents got divorced. And um, that was also, uh, you know, there's several ways you can react. You can become a victim. And um, like my sister was in a pretty bad situation she was younger she was very emotionally dependent on my mom so everybody said oh come over here you know your parents are divorcing it's horrible for you you can do anything you want you know just be you know a little girl Mm -hmm. and I went to that business school and I didn't have an excuse if I said well my parents are getting a divorce everybody looked at me like yeah my parents too my parents died I had to move like 17 times in the past year everybody had the story Mm -hmm. So that's when the no excuses mentality was kind of forced onto me. Like, okay, this is not an excuse. I just have to survive. So I'm also a survivor. No matter what happens, I'll find a solution and I'll, um, you know, not only be able to survive, but also to live and to make a living. Um, And for example, of course, I participated in the Survivor show, uh, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. But also, I know that if you drop me anywhere in the world, without a phone, without money, without friends, I will survive. And even if I have to borrow or buy or steal like a watermelon, I'll chop it into pieces and I'll start (laughs) selling it on the beach to make some money and to buy more watermelons. And if I don't sell it, I can eat it and I'll also survive. So... That's the simplest way to know that you can always set up a business or make some money or survive. And that gives me my security. That's my security more than my, um, you know, my career or my work experience or my titles or my money in the bank. Um, this is my inner security that I, I can survive anywhere no matter what. Well, that's, that's a great leeway into my next question because I want to ask you about your experience on Survivor. Haha. <laughs> And how was that for you, and what was it like? It was horrible. Okay. 
<laughs> and actually, I never planned to participate, but I was so disappointed in the charity world uh, after Coins for Care. I was at a charity conference, and there were like really crooks who had been um, uh, fined for, for fraud and taking money away from the charities that I was getting physically sick, and I thought, I have to get away. Mm. So I got away from the conference, got in my car. The only thing I could think of, I have to get away, I have to get away. And that's the moment when I heard a radio commercial announce, this is the last day to uh, apply for uh, Survivor, which I did. And uh, because I was pretty well known at that point in the Netherlands uh, for Coins for Care, they selected me for a special position nice. because I didn't know that, but they wanted to put two people in a cave for two weeks. So <laughs> the other two groups were on their islands, you know, eating coconuts, doing challenges, voting off people, making friends, winning food. And I was in a cave every day thinking this must be the last day. They leave me here because they cannot leave people in a cave for longer than one day, two days, three days. Mm -hmm. Well, in the end, it was two weeks. Then they made me swim to the others, build a raft and swim to the other island. Wow. And I was really happy. Like, finally, I'm going to meet the others. What did they do? And, and finally, I can participate really in the program. And the others were like, hmm, new people coming. And, and they brought back all the people they voted off. Wow. They mixed the group. So they thought they had friends, but then they were spread over two new groups. <laughs> and they made me and the other guy from the cave a leader, put us on a platform, gave us a flag and a medallion and gave us immunity. Wow. So they pulled all the strings to make people feel uncomfortable, to take them out of their comfort zone that they had just created. Mm -hmm. And they focused all their anger and frustration on me. Wow. They didn't want to talk to me. They didn't accept that I was a leader. I didn't want to be a leader. Um, and uh, they didn't talk to me. They didn't share their food. And they just waged a war on me for 10 days, seven people, 24 hours wow. a day. And that was horrible. And then after 10 days, they changed the rules again. And they said, now you can vote Esther off. So I was on a plane, you know, before I could blink. Uh -huh. <laughs> And I thought, okay, that was an interesting experience. So the two weeks in the cave were kind of zen because uh -huh. you cannot do anything. You're not allowed to do anything. Right. And I kind of accepted the situation. So looking back, I was in a constant state of zen being in the moment. That was really, really beautiful in a natural environment. And the 10 days after were just war and horrible. And I thought, okay, let's forget that and go on with my life. Yeah. But then the TV show started being aired. And everybody in the Netherlands and Belgium could see that I had really been in that cave. They didn't want to believe it. Mm -hmm. And that they were being very unreasonable to me. And that I kept being like friendly and normal and sad, of course, that they acted that way. But I didn't start a fight. I didn't fight at all. I just, you know, stayed who I was, true to myself. Right. So everybody started seeing that. And they started be angry at the other people, at the other uh, seven people. Wow. And they started seeing me as like a hero and people stopped their cars in the streets. I got like 10,000 emails. <laughs> people started to beat up the other guys when they met them in the streets. Really? Wow. And one of them had to move. Um, they, they emigrated to Spain and another one went to live with his mother in Belgium again. And wow. the others were so ashamed that they didn't stop it or that they participated, that they publicly apologized and wrote me letters or whatever. So this whole thing turned into a thing, you know. I had just wanted to get away from the charity where everybody saw me as a threat, uh -huh. even though I just wanted to contribute something. 
And now again, I was put in a position that people saw me as a threat, even though I had the best intentions. Uh-huh. So for me, it was like really interesting that no matter where you go, you always find the same situations until you learn to deal with it. Yeah. In America, we say, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> That's very smart. <laughs> um, do you stay in touch with anybody from Survivors, from your experience? Yeah, actually, the guy I was in the cave with for two weeks, he mm-hmm. won the whole uh, episode because uh, he was lucky to get the people in his group that didn't feel comfortable in their previous group. So mm-hmm. they really made a fresh start and everybody was very happy. And I got the people that were the, like the informal leaders in the previous groups and now they got put into a group with me as a leader. So they weren't so happy. So uh, the other guy uh, who won, he's still a good friend. And um, some of the people from the other group uh, I'm still in touch with on, on Facebook and uh, it's already 10 years ago so that's pretty special even though we never really met <laughs> so um, I'd like to ask Esther where are, you, where are you going in the next 5 to 10 years with your life and business Ooh, I never look so far ahead generally I never look further ahead than, than 3 months maybe 6 months if I need to plan anything mm-hmm. um, because the things that happened to me now I didn't plan them or I couldn't have imagined them, you know, even when you're younger, when you go to study, being a speaker is not on the list of career choices. Right. So if I had fixed on something, I might, my life might not have turned out the way it, uh, it has now. And um, the thing with, like with the Dutch government being uh, expelled from the country is not something that you aim for or think about and you know you wouldn't want it to happen if you think about it but once it has happened it has turned into a new topic and an interesting um, interesting theme in my life yeah so I know I want to stay a speaker but I want to work more internationally mm-hmm. um, I have some new book ideas I'm developing some e-courses um, and I like to help out young entrepreneurs who, you know, have a lot of energy and who are actually starting their careers. And I, I find that, that I can really help them because I've also experienced like the politics in the, the business world and a lot of organizations. And to avoid a burnout and, and disappointment, you better know what you're getting into. And um, uh, I like supporting them and coaching them to, um, you know, to advance in their own careers. So that might be a new turn that my life might be taking. Beautiful. Tell us, Esther, um, why are you excited about coming to the Entrepreneur House in Chiang Mai? Um, I'm actually very excited because it's only last year that I've discovered there are a lot of location independent entrepreneurs Um, and I always thought I was like the only one living a weird life because when I get back to Holland, everybody's like, oh, you're so different and why don't you come back and settle down like we are all doing? Mm -hmm. And now I've found this group of people who also chose this lifestyle. And of course, there's a lot of backpackers with a computer who call themselves digital nomads, Um, and that's great if they want to live like that for a while or trying to set up their business. But I found that there's also a lot of successful location independent entrepreneurs people who know what they're doing got their shit together and are on the you yeah, know they're developing their uh their themselves as a person or their business mm-hmm. and for me it's so interesting to meet like-minded people and to help each other it's not that you know everybody asks me questions and i have all the answers it's like together you find solutions for situations that you're in 
and one time I have, you know, experience and another time another person has experience in something. And it's just beautiful to meet like-minded people with the same lifestyle who chose freedom. I think that's the biggest yeah. thing we all have in common. I completely agree. And I'm continually amazed by the results that happen when you bring like-minded people together and uh, what they create from that and how it like alters and changes their life or their business or the direction they go. Definitely. And I've organized like a lot of workshops in the past few years on in exotic locations. And often I find that you don't even need a program. You know, you just put people together and, and the magic starts happening. Yeah. And then if you facilitate, you know, with some topics or some, some procedures, it helps even more. But just putting people together, like-minded people together, creates some kind of magic. And I just want to be part of it. So I'm really excited to be in, uh, in Chiang Mai with this group. Me too. So, Esther, we're going to do a rapid-fire round real quick. And these are unprepared questions, and Esther has no idea what I'm going to ask her. Ew. So we're catching her off guard. So we'll ease into it. Esther, tell us, what is your favorite book? My favorite book? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is very cliche, the four-hour work week. It has inspired me a lot, and I think it keeps inspiring people. And it was my first taste of freedom. Yeah, I completely agree. I read that like five times and listened to the audio at least like 10. I have like three copies that I lend out to people and nice. every now and then I have to buy new ones because people keep them. <laughs> yeah, it's such a great book. Okay, next question. What is your favorite movie? Um, oh, it's hard. I just saw uh, I'm Not Your Guru from Tony Robbins yesterday. Ah, yeah. So that's the thing that's fresh in my mind. And um, I like it that he has grown from like an American guru, what he like used to be, mm -hmm. into a more authentic, almost spiritual person who is really focused on helping people on personal development. And of course, there were some parts of the movie that I found a little bit too much. Yeah. But I really enjoyed the movie and I got good energy from it. So I can recommend anybody to, uh, to watch it. Amazing. Okay, um, who do you consider the most successful person that you personally know? That de depends on how you define success. Um, the person that comes to mind is, yeah, it's also cliche, but it's Nelson Mandela. Because mm. he successfully managed to leave everything behind once he walked out of the jail. He yeah. could have been angry, he could have been frustrated, he could have been, you know thinking and talking about what could have been, what should have been. But he decided to leave all of that behind and to focus on the future. And that's something I admire so much that I can only hope, you know, my darkest moments that I can just get a spark of his light. Yeah, I completely agree. I read his book, uh, A Long Road to Freedom. Yeah. Have you read it? Yeah, I yeah. did. And it, yeah, the way he explains after what it was like after spending 27 years in jail was like it was he was born again but he was 80 or something right 27 years it's like half a lifetime it's unimaginable yeah, absolutely and in and how he treated everybody and and his led. kindness his light yeah. his love after those you know everybody would have understood after those circumstances if he would have been a bitter person but he was far from that oh yeah i think, I he, think we can all take an example from him 
Yeah, I think maybe he was like, like you spent two weeks in a cave and he spent <laughs> 27 years in a cave. <laughs> and I did it voluntarily. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's incredible, yeah. All right. If you had to change one thing about the business world today, what would you change and why? Transparency. I don't understand why people have hidden agendas, mm. why they say one thing and do another thing, why you know you think you're buying something and then you're you're hooked up to something else. Yeah. You don't understand. Why don't we all show and say what what we really mean and what is really the case? We would still buy things, but we wouldn't be cheated, we wouldn't feel cheated, uh, we wouldn't have to devise all kinds of schemes and schedules call lists, email lists, uh, marketing, SEO, whatever. Life would be much simpler and, um, and more pleasurable, I think. That's yes. amazing. And for those of you that are coming to Chiang Mai with us, that's the brilliant mind of Esther Jacobs that you get <laughs> to be a part of. Esther, I want to thank you for coming to the show. I want to thank you for going after your dreams. I want to thank you for being so ambitious and inspiring myself and many people that you have crossed paths with. And I want to thank you for being an advisor at the Entrepreneur House. And we're all looking forward to an incredible month in Thailand. Can you tell the listeners where they can find you at? Yes, I'm also very excited to, to be in Thailand. So thanks for inv inviting me. Actually, all my information is on my website, estherjacobs.info. My blogs, my social media, my books, lots of information. So estherjacobs.info is where you can contact me, where you can find inspiration. And I hope to see you all in uh, Chiang Mai in um, October. Absolutely. And thanks again, Esther. We'll see you soon. Thank you. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for location-independent entrepreneurs. Imagine spending one month with other successful entrepreneurs building business in the world's most exotic locations. Day-to-day, -day you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality about business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those staying in the Entrepreneur House, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. For those of you that are interested, be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com website. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.